Today, I am joined by Roy Baumaster. He is a social psychologist, uh, the author and co-author of many, many wonderful books, um, including Willpower, The Power of Bad, Is There Anything Good About Men, and his latest, I think, The Self-Explained. Welcome, Roy. Thanks for having me on. Um, I'm very glad uh, you came on. You are one of the, probably, let's say, the, the, the greatest living social psychologist, and I'm very happy to be able to, to speak to you. Um, and someone who's not um, pulled his punches, not been very concerned about being contrarian, going against the grain. So I'm I'm very happy that you know we'll we'll be able to maybe discuss some of the more spicier implications of your of your work and discoveries. Um, my first uh, question would be around the field of social psychology. Um, there have been quite a few, let's say, intramural scandals um, with the replication crisis. Um, in general, with um, all sorts of diversity issues, as probably in every discipline now, um, I wonder what's what's your assessment uh, of the discipline as it stands now? It's probably evolved in the last, let's say, few decades. Um, is the direction positive? Is there anything interesting on the horizon? Or have things clamped down into a sort of orthodoxy that's not necessarily in line with pure science, but more in line with what people would like to hear? I would have to say the latter. I think right now there's more uh, orthodoxy and the, the pure science uh, future seems cloudy. And that's kind of sad for me. I've, I've really had an exciting career um, trying to use the scientific method to learn about the human mind. And uh, uh, young people starting out today, I think, would have a much more difficult time having the kind of career I had. Uh, there's, uh, uh, as you say, there were um, scandals. There were a couple of people were caught faking data. Uh, and then there's the more general issue of how well do things replicate. So they've come up with new methods to, to test that. But uh, I'm not sure they're really going to improve the replication. Uh, right, and meanwhile, the uh, the restriction is 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 cutting out a lot of uh, the field's ability to study things. I mean, one solution to the replication thing is well, we just got to collect lots lots of data, large samples instead. You know, when I was in graduate school, it was normal to have ten people in each cell in an experiment. So you'd have a treatment and a control, or sometimes there'd be four different cells. Uh, be 40 in, in, in 10 cells. And then it gradually moved up to 20. But now they're wanting 50 or 60. And so many of the classic social psychology experiments would never be done. They're just too too labor intensive. So instead, what people are doing are just uh, collecting data online, asking people, instead of you know, observing actual behavior, asking people, well, what would you do or what would you think uh, in this situation? And while that has some value, it's more removed from uh, actual actual behavior and what people actually do. Uh, unfortunately, I think there's a strong tendency to pretend we're still studying what people do just by asking them what we do, even though we should know better. Because plenty of studies will show people say they'll do one thing, but <laughs> in reality, when it actually happens, they do something else. Um, I think the effort to increase the scientific rigor uh has has good intentions not always uh, executed in a in a positive and constructive manner uh but the idea is to improve the scientific quality 
But as you ratchet up the demands for rigor, uh, you also gradually rule out opportunities for creative new work and to try experiment with new things. And so the scope for creativity, I think, is is, is being cut down. Um, you can do all right studying what people think they would do and how they think about the social world, but that's that's a really shortening or cutting down the mission of social psychology. I always thought that the strength, and I think the field was really strong in the late 20th century, because it had a huge diversity of methods. And I think people understand we have to adapt our methodological requirements to the topic. This, this came out particularly in the early 1980s, uh, when we were started borrowing heavily from cognitive psychology, which had very nice scientific methods. So you could study some of those things, like how people think about or remember a social interaction. You could study that very uh, precisely. At the same time, there was a sense we need to study long-term relationships. So we had build a social psychology of stranger interactions uh, based on what you could do in a, a half hour or an hour laboratory session. But most of life is lived with people you know. Uh, so we need somehow to study marriage, and uh, it can't be done with the same amount of rigor. You can't randomly assign people to be married for 10 years and then follow up and see how they're doing. Uh, and so people adjusted their expectations, and that really made the field strong, uh, that we could study every topic with the best methods uh, available for that topic. And then things gradually improved, too. I mean, the early studies of marriage were kind of, well, collect surveys or do this, and then people gradually got better and better methods for doing that. I, I fear we're cutting back on that. So, yeah, that's uh, that's that's one problem. And then the uh, the ideological problem. Uh, um, many people have come into the field which think uh, we think that uh, the top priority or or a top priority. Uh, should be making the society politically better based on how they see it, and mostly uh, leaning far to the left. Uh, so they've, they've chased the ideological diversity out uh, of the field, and there are very few uh, conservatives left, uh, even moderates. Uh, and I'm not very political, but I suppose I'd be a moderate. Even the moderates feel like you know, we're not wanted and uh, um, see things in the... Uh, people writing that even the the people who are pretty staunch uh, politically on the left still worry that they're not leftist enough uh, that their students students will complain about them, and so uh, everything is is, is being aimed uh, at this, and that's again taking away from the 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 scientific potential of the field. So um, it's. It's sad for me to say, but right now I, I would not encourage uh, bright young uh, people to, to, to go into the field where I've devoted my life to it and uh, really have a lot of affection for its potential. Yeah, I mean, one of the uh, bigger phenomena in, in this field and in probably a lot of more scientific fields has been the, the uh, gender balance is now tilting towards more women being active in mm -hmm. the field. Do you think that that's had any effect on these changes, um, accelerated them, maybe magnified the direction that things were going in? Yes, well, my uh, my friend and colleague, Corey Clark, has been studying this in, in more detail than I have. And uh, um, she has survey data asking practicing scientists and professors, what's the goal of science? Is it to discover the truth? 
uh, or is it to improve society and not offend anyone, or it's complicated. Uh, and the majority of men say pursuit of truth has got to be top priority, even though many of them recognize the other concerns as well. The majority of women say it's complicated, so they're not willing to put the pursuit of truth first. And uh, and I, th I think as women become a majority, things change. They import their own values and uh, um, standards and, uh, and things. And, uh, um, and say, individually, I've known many fine women scientists, so I don't want to... Uh, you know, knock on them or, or, or say that. It seems to be, however, when they get into a, a large group, I mean, we see throughout history of the world, large groups of women have very rarely accomplished any kind of progress or, or anything. Even when they do get organized, it's mostly to protest against what the men are doing uh, rather than to uh, provide uh, innovations or advance culture in any way other than that, that brings more benefits to themselves, to women. Um, so, uh, so anyway, uh, Corey thinks women uh, really have the potential to do serious harm to, to science. Uh, my view is, is to, to wait and see, but certainly the way things have been going are, are quite consistent uh, uh, with her assessment, that as women take over the scientific societies, they become much more uh, about uh, politics. There's a lot more censorship. Women lead a lot of campaigns to retract articles that they don't like the findings rather than uh, uh, dis, uh, you know, disputing them or producing other data uh, to come up uh, against it. And uh, uh, women very influential in the editing uh, profession and so on. And the, the, the censorship there is, is just uh, getting extreme. I say I, I've been censored by both the left and the right. <laughs> in the last couple of years. Um, and so it makes me think I'm probably doing something correct, uh, much more by the left, but that's because the left has a lot more power. I don't think if if the conservatives ran the universities and the scientific establishment, uh, I, I have no way to expect that, uh, uh, that there would be a lot more freedom or uh, you know, that they would be any, any less oppressive. Nevertheless, uh, uh, right now, the right is defending free speech, and the left has moved on and no longer really approves of it. They want free speech for themselves, for people they approve of, and then speech that uh, they think won't have any negative effects. But uh, the restrictions on it get uh, uh, get ever more more strict, and, and that has to hurt science. Uh, I said I talked to the great David Buss one day, and uh, the he was having the same sort of sad reaction. And he said, yeah, what attracted me into this field was you could use the scientific method to learn about people and how the mind uh, is formed and uh, and all that. And that sort of basic attraction, excitement, I I, I think that's getting crowded out at present. And I, I hope I'm wrong. And I know more optimistic people who say, well, it's just a pendulum swing and it will swing back the other way. I, I don't see quite how that will happen, but but looking back in history, often it does. So uh, one can be optimistic, but it's not, the field's not in a good place now. Yes. Do you think that there might be some hope for science outside of um, academia? Because I think throughout history, the 
the greatest scientific achievements were uh, were made by essentially tinkerers in some form of uh, kind of secluded uh, place. They were, you know, they had their own milieu of people that they were exchanging. Might be in parallel to academia or maybe like slightly tied to it, but not always within the confines of a university. You think that social psychology needs institutional funding or that it's a, it's a field where there could be some rogue um, genius uh, adding, adding data, adding things, uh, or is this, you know, the level at, at which the, the um, uh, discipline's at? Yeah. I don't, the, the problem is we need to study people. Um, yes, there are things, tinkers working in their garage by themselves, uh, introvert and worked on things. So you know, a lot of the advances, for example, in, in making cars were done exactly as you said, not by university researchers, but by people uh, working with machines by themselves. Uh, to study people, you need more, <laughs> you need contact with, uh, with people. Um, now one of the positive trends where that could happen is with the, the new availability of big data sets. And so, um, I mean, this is happening partly, and um, I've had a few people here uh, on the show, some people like Emil Kierkegaard, people interested in, in intelligence, obviously a very fraught topic, uh, but any data set that relates to this, and sometimes there are um, publicly available data sets tied to studies that not necess- that shouldn't, they're not for the conclusions that these intelligence researchers need, but the data set itself is relevant to their hypotheses as well, so they can use that as well. Um, and there have been quite a lot of interesting findings based on data sets that were maybe for a short time available until people realized what they were used for um, and and people doing science on the basis of that. Obviously, I'm sure that that's the, the quality of that uh, interaction is not the same as if you ran your own experiment and were able to design it in a, in a certain way. Yes. But um, there, there are ways to tinker um, with things that yeah technology makes available. Yes, yes. And if I were advising a young person starting out in social psychology now, I would say for sure one of the things you want to do before you get your PhD is develop some expertise in working with other people's big data sets. Uh, in, in the past, I mean, they had crime statistics and, you know, the census and things like that that some people have worked with. But um, that might become more pressing and more important, especially with the difficulty of running the experiments the way the early days of social psychology did. Um, and if you can get it, it's conceivable, people starting out now, some of them would be able to have a fine, successful career without ever collecting data themselves, just working with uh, existing data sets. I, I don't think we're quite there yet. Uh, but uh, that is something. And, and uh, you know, 